Hello and welcome to the What Manners Most podcast. I'm Thomas Farley, Mr. Manners. Thank you so much for joining me. I've been giving a lot of thought lately, as I'm sure you have, to what will our etiquette look like once we begin to emerge from this. We are nowhere near having coronavirus in the rearview mirror yet, but when that does occur, where will we be as a culture? Will we still hug? Will we still shake hands? Will we be able to be in the presence of others with a closing distance of less than six feet? What will our lives look like? And I'm a firm believer that we need to look to the past to inform the decisions we make in the future. And that famed quote by philosopher and essayist George Santayana, those who cannot remember the past are condemned to repeat it, led me to seek out an expert in epidemiology and pandemics. And boy, did I come to the right person? You are about to meet Dr. Frank Snowden. He's a professor at Yale University who leads undergraduate and graduate classes in Italian history, European social and political history, and the history of medicine. But on top of all of that, Dr. Snowden, as timing would have it, just last October, a couple of months before the very first case of coronavirus is known to have occurred, published a book called Epidemics and society from the Black Death to the present. And there's a quote in the introduction to the book that forms the basis of what I'd like to discuss with Dr. Snowden, which is as follows. Epidemic diseases merit attention because their history is far from over. Emerging diseases such as SARS, Ebola, and Zika have provided a reminder of this ongoing susceptibility. We live with the persisting ravages of HIV-AIDS and some older diseases once thought to be eradicable, dengue, malaria, and tuberculosis, have instead re-emerged as major threats. How the global community deals with these issues may well be an important factor in determining the survival of our society, and perhaps even of our species. To learn more about how we can ensure the survival of both our society and our species, my conversation with Dr. Frank Snowden, coming right up. And we are joined now by Frank Snowden, who is a professor emeritus of history and the history of medicine at Yale, author of the brand new book, Epidemics in Society from the Black Death to the Present. Professor Snowden, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you. Dr. Snowden, I must ask you of all spots on the planet to be hunkering down during this particular epidemic. Why Italy? It was a real irony, given that I had just finished a book on epidemics, and I thought I was putting that behind me, uh, partially at least, to concentrate on something else that I do, which is modern Italian history. And then it turns out that COVID-19 broke out, and there was this upsurge, and there was a lockdown. And I thought initially that this was very unfortunate. And it is, of course, a terrible thing for everyone. But then I realized that, in fact, I would devote myself full time to COVID-19 by reading, by doing interviews, by writing about it. And then I actually contracted COVID-19, such was my zeal for the subject. And then I was put in quarantine at home. And I'm happy to say I had just a very mild case and I'm fine now. So I was outside today 
day for the first time in uh, about six weeks. I'm relieved to hear you're feeling well. And although I can only imagine how surreal it must be for you to be in Italy, one of the early epicenters of this pandemic, I must congratulate you on the vital voice that you've provided in American television and in magazines and newspaper articles as a source of authoritative information on this. And, and what a pleasure to have you on the podcast. I want to focus now on the timing of your book and how absolutely uncanny it is that epidemics in society came out only a couple of months before the very first case of coronavirus. I feel that looking at epidemics is a really wonderful way to understand how a society works and is put together. I believe that epidemics aren't random events, but that societies create the conditions that allow certain diseases to flourish in their midst. So I began to think that they hold up mirrors to society and they raise the really important questions about what are we here for, about our mortality, our real values, how much do we really care about the most vulnerable people in our midst, uh, ethical questions, religious questions, questions about our respect for authority, or lack thereof, questions about the economy and our uh, relationships with our family, our friends, and so on. So I feel every area of life is touched by epidemic diseases, and also that epidemic diseases have really left a huge legacy on history that isn't so well understood, and that people don't have this really important mirror to look at the way societies are organized ethically, religiously, and public health terms. So I've been fascinated throughout by what I feel is really a wonderful front seat, if you like, for understanding how societies are really put together. That's what sustained my interest. When you think about the bubonic plague, now obviously at that time, modern medicine did not exist. Diagnostic tools did not exist in the way that we have them today. And the plague lasted for so long with multiple outbreaks through the centuries. What would you say were some of the lasting societal implications of the bubonic plague? And what time frame are we really talking about here? The European experience of it uh, begins from 1347 to 1743 in recurring bouts over and over again. So we're talking four centuries, really, of the experience in the West of this disease. And there are really lasting implications of it for society today. It was actually Florence and Genoa that really invented public health as we know it, because they were the most scourged at the center of the European trade routes. And so they devised methods for dealing dealing with the plague. And I think if a 15th century Florentine were to jump in a time machine and come to a big city in North America or Europe today, they would feel rather at home that their policies, the measures taken, were clearly descendants of measures that they would have recognized and understood. That is to say that in Florence and Genoa in particular, there were devised protective 
personal equipment, PPE as it's now called, and the Florentine doctors also had masks that they wore with long beaks that they had aromatic herbs in. They had long waxed gowns to keep the smell that they thought the disease was spread by terrible smells, and they thought smells were related to atoms that clung to your claws. So, uh, and the waxed costume also included a long rod that the wearer kept in his hand, and that was for social distancing. If someone were to come too close, the wearer would stick out the rod and say, keep your distance. Professor, this is the Verger's staff in your book. And in reading about that, I thought, my goodness, there are perhaps some of my listeners who might wish they had a Verger's staff as they go grocery shopping. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I thought that often walking down the streets of Rome and people would actually go into the street walking around the cars in order to avoid passing another person yes. on, on the sidewalk. <laughs> yes, so that's something that people are doing this very moment throughout the world, I think. So yes, that would be familiar, as would the, the plague hospitals and quarantining and confining people in isolation. All of those were practiced rigorously through those centuries. And you can read in Daniel Defoe also how people were locked up in their homes. There's a lot in the press about measures today in the lockdown being unprecedented. Well, actually, it was much worse in this London of Daniel Defoe, where a watcher would be posted outside your home. And if you tried to leave, his job was to use all force and indeed to kill you rather than to allow you to actually leave your home and be a danger to the community. And you were locked inside without provisions. And if someone died inside, that person would remain there until the authorities had decided to release you. How would you say the, the plague, the bubonic plague, affected society. I know there were great cultural changes that came about as a result. The arts reflected, literature reflected, medicine, of course, reflected as as I feel those middle-aged Europeans were kind of kicking and stumbling their way through trying to figure out what was happening. But at the conclusion of this, of the final wave of the plague, what would you say some of the lasting societal changes were in terms of the way societies were organized and the way people interacted with one another? One of the features was a tremendous demographic shock that the bubonic plague, the Black Death, killed something like half the population of Europe. Before the creation of modern health, the chances of sickness overwhelming a society were very high. And so the idea of creating a centralized public health system, that is, modern statecraft, was part of the legacy of the 17th century, not only in its political thinking, but in actual practice through the creation of these authorities. And you mentioned also the art and religion. There's an upsurge of religiosity. The pulpits were filled with preachers talking about the fact that sudden death needs to be confronted. You need to put your affairs in order because in time of plague, you have no idea when death is going to strike you down and strike you and suddenly, unexpectedly, even in a public square. And therefore, you need to put your earthly affairs and your spiritual affairs in order because this could come at any moment. There were paintings about who should be present at your death. You see a great iconography with symbols of life's passing and 
hourglass with the sands running out, or a candle that's about to be snuffed out, or a flower that's wilting, or the skull and crossbones. These were called memento mori, that is, the reminders of sudden death coming. And these were, throughout the plague centuries, these were dominant motifs, if we like, in the arts of the period, and or even in architecture, huge cathedrals were built. On Venice, the skyline is dominated uh, by the Church of the Redeemer, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, the Church of San Rocco, the great plague saint. These were erected to thank God that he had sheathed his sword and put the plague away and to remind God that the people of Venice had repented and therefore it wasn't necessary to send a new and terrible visitation again. So I think that the plague left really a deep imprint on our society, our political arrangements, our public health measures that we adopt to protect ourselves and also, as you were saying, culture and the arts. In any pandemic or in any natural disaster, we see it, the human spirit and the way certain individuals are called to step up and be heroes and where others take the opposite tack and either take advantage or fan the flames or work on all-out self-preservation. Are there any examples that you can think of of any particular individuals who really stepped up in a wonderful way to help others or the conversation? Anyone who in a leadership position acted particularly selfishly and it was all about self-preservation and not about societal preservation. Yes, absolutely. Pandemic diseases are a looking glass in which a society sees itself reflected. I also mean that in ethical terms that I believe that what we're witnessing today is a moral drama taking place uh, before our very eyes. And it does raise this question of what are those ethical values and how deeply do we adhere to them. And I think that we see both contrasts in time of pandemic that you were talking about. Boccaccio talks about how horrible it was in Florence that people uh, deserted their families, that parents deserted their children, spouses ran away from each other. The authorities in the city took flight and left their obligations behind them, that ministers fled their flocks. All of this occurred. At the same time, there is the other side of heroic figures. There were people who had the task or volunteered for the task of being caretakers, healthcare workers, and they died in overwhelming numbers, as we can understand now, because of the conditions even in modern hospitals. There were certain people who were known to be heroes, one of whom is celebrated in the novels of the great Italian novelist Alessandro Manzoni. It's a historical novel about the plague. And in Milan, Carlo Borromeo was the archbishop. And he was someone who put his life on the line by going to work and to care for people in the pest houses of 
the city of Milan, and he spent the whole of a plague visitation practicing his devotion and his duty to God by looking after the most vulnerable of human beings who were the plague victims. And I would say we see this happening also today, and we see it in Doctors Without Borders who exhibit exactly the same dedication to humanity and the most vulnerable people on the planet putting their lives on the line in this particular way. I think we can also say that we see the opposite today. We can take, for example, I would say the opposite is the leader of Brazil, Bolsonaro, who has spent the outbreak denying the significance of the plague that's running rife in the country and therefore showing no empathy for the citizens of the country. So we do see these contrasts and I see this as a a major ethical issue that societies confront and that these pandemics actually show in stark relief. If we could fast forward to the Spanish flu, where medicine had advanced well beyond what we were dealing with during the bubonic plague, but was still somewhat primitive, and certainly communication then was not what it is now, what lessons do you think we can draw from the Spanish plague that are applicable today? Well, a first similarity actually is uh, astonishing, which is that Rupert Blue, who was the U.S. Surgeon General at the time of the Spanish influenza, said that, in fact, he felt that the Spanish influenza was no better understood and that doctors were as helpless confronting it as the physicians of Florence in the 15th century at the time of bubonic plague. They were powerless to deal with the Spanish influenza, and they fought heroically. Doctors and nurses, especially nurses perhaps, were the great heroes of the Spanish influenza, but all they could do was what we might call palliative care to mitigate misery. They had no understanding of what viruses or what caused the disease. And I think at the outset of COVID-19, it was a new emergent virus that had never been experienced by our species. And therefore, even today, months later, it first appeared in December 2019, as everybody knows. But at that point, nothing was known about it, just as at the time of the Spanish influenza or the bubonic plague. We are fortunate in that we now have scientific tools. The genome has been sequenced, but we still see that more is not known about COVID-19 than is known. Is there something that you wish our listeners would know about the current situation and what they can do to both continue to help prevent the spread and prevent the spread of misinformation. What are some things that we can be doing right now to get through this as a culture, as a society, as a globe? We have to remember what Fauci has said, that in the absence still of a vaccine, we mustn't panic, um, but we don't have many weapons for dealing with this that go beyond the classic means of public health developed 
during the bubonic plague of case tracing, testing, and social distancing. That, I think, is a very, very important mission that everyone can play a part in. And it protects not only society as a whole, but that is the way to protect ourselves individually and our families, our communities, and the people we care about. As a New Yorker, when I think about September 11th, uh, 2001, and the lasting changes that took place as a result of that incident in terms of the way we travel, in terms of security in buildings, uh, lasting, lasting impacts. Once we can say COVID-19 is safely in the rearview mirror, we've got a vaccine, we've got everybody on the path to good health again, what do you think, Professor, are going to be some of the lasting societal changes as a result of this pandemic that we're presently living through? We don't know that we're going to put COVID-19 in the rearview mirror. We know that it's going to be contained, but it may be that it will have to live with it for a prolonged period, and also that we are vulnerable down the road to other pulmonary viruses as well that may challenge us and that we need to be prepared for. So that takes us to what can we do about that? And there's some very imaginative thinking that's going on. So I think we're going to have to rethink our economic models and the way that we live in our cities, the way in which we work, the way in which we greet people, the way in which we practice hygiene, uh, washing our hands multiple times a, a day and using hand sanitizer as a gesture not only of self-protection, but of our concern and care for other people in our communities. So I think we're going to be transformed as a result of COVID-19, which has been a terrible, harrowing experience. But there may be some positive sides to it in which we have a chance to relook at our relationships about how we conduct our business and ourselves in a modern world in which we may need to live for a long time with a sort of low-level COVID-19 in the background as part of our medium-term future. I imagine that all of these changes that you're discussing here are also prophylactic against what may come post-COVID-19, because we know this is not, this, this particular coronavirus is not the only coronavirus out there. They'll put us in a much better way to deal with other challenges to our health care, and I think that will be part of our system, and I think we'll have to rethink our health care system as well, because that made us very vulnerable because millions of people were not covered, did not have access to doctors. Professor, if there were any parting words that you might share with our listeners about not just improvements in healthcare, but the way we treat one another as individuals, the patience, the understanding, the kindness, what would be what would be your advice for all of us at this time? The lesson I take from this is that Actually, this COVID-19 has shown that we really do live in a global world and that in a global world, we're inescapably interconnected. That is to say, this is a challenge to us as a species and we're all in it together. And so I think we need to think about this as a human event, a human challenge, and that the only way we're going to deal with it effectively is everyone 
everyone to put their heads together and to try to respond in a collaborative way, caring for whole communities, whole societies, and ultimately not building walls, but trying to think of ways to cooperate across borders, across neighborhoods, across communities, across continents. That's the way, I think, to be prepared for the future in a humane and responsible way. Professor Snowden, author of the brand new book, Epidemics in Society from the Black Death to the Present. Thank you so much for your insights and for taking the time to speak with us, especially on your first day where you're actually able to go outside. I feel guilty for keeping you indoors on a phone call. (laughs) No, actually, this is talking about this emergency is constantly on my mind. And it's been a great pleasure to talk about it on this day and any other day. So thank you very much. Thank you and stay well. You too. I'll be back with some closing thoughts right after this. In the meantime, if you have not yet subscribed to the What Manners Most podcast, please do. Academy Award, Golden Globe Award, and Emmy Award-winning actress Laura Dern, who I love in Big Little Lies and who I loved in Marriage Story, says, I think it's about not just the crisis you're in, but how do you get to the other side? How do we heal? How do we survive this experience while remaining hopeful instead of filled with despair? That's what interests me. It's what interests me also, and I know it interests you as we together explore the multifold aspects of how this pandemic is affecting our etiquette and how it's affecting our society. And if past is truly prologue, as William Shakespeare said in The Tempest, I think that conversation with Dr. Snowden truly helps inform what we can, should, and positively must learn from the past if we are going to get through this together. Thank you so much to my guests. Thanks to all of you for listening as we together take a journey to discover what matters most.